in Luke chapter 23, it echoes what we already heard from the Apostle John, Elder Byron Lane read, this is Luke's account in chapter 23, so if we think back just prior to his going to the cross, Verses 18 through 25, I'm going to read. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. They kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Luke begins uh, our little passage here and these few verses with they all cried out together. They exercised one voice according to the one will that they had as a crowd that was gathered there. And it's a good picture of humanity as a whole. That is, we possess a common voice as human beings. So it's born into this world as children of Adam. And there is one cry that marks all of us A cry not so different from this day before Pilate. The cry, we could say, is away with God. Or as the crowd did here, away with the God-man. Away with this man. Their desire is less that Barabbas be set free, and it's more that Christ, the God-man, would be crucified as He stands before them. But what I want to do to start with is think about Barabbas and think about why it is that Luke takes these verses to detail about this man. We're told in verse 19 that he was, quote, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. He is quantifiably a rebel and he is a murderer. This is not a good man. This is not the kind of man that you would want to invite over for your Easter dinner this weekend. Uh, This is surely not the kind of man that you would want your daughter dating. This is probably even the kind of man that if he was your son, that you would be embarrassed of him. He is nothing if not guilty. And he is ripe for judgment. He's ripe for the judgment of death or capital punishment. 
in the Roman world at this time. And as you know, capital punishment in the Roman world at this time was done by crucifixion. And so Pilate faces a problem. He has a criminal. He has a man that has led an insurrection against the Roman Empire that Pilate serves. And a man that has committed murder. And so both before Roman law and before Jewish law, this is a man that should be executed and put to death. The Roman and Jewish law demand action here. And then we have Jesus, this man whom Pilate has no desire to take action against because he finds no reason to take action against him. It was tradition to release one prisoner, so when Pilate addresses the crowd, he is hopeful that they will cry out for Jesus to be set free and for Pilate to be, or for Barabbas to be put to death. And instead, the crowd's one voice echoes with that most haunting, I think, chant in all of history, crucify, crucify him. And he comes to them again, and he says, why? That's the question, why? And then he follows it up with, what evil has he done? On the contrary, Christ has not done evil. He has done good. He is a man that has walked among them. He has taught the truth. He has healed the sick. He has made the lame to walk. He has made the blind to see. He has made the deaf hearing. He has made the dumb to speak. He was an extender of mercy, an extender of grace, an extender of love. He looked on the crowds with great compassion and mercy. He said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Even Pilate, who was no benign man, is clear in his assessment of Jesus. I have found no guilt deserving death. Verse 22. Luke makes it clear throughout this entire chapter of the complete and utter innocence of Christ. He's going to do it over and over again. If we just take Pilate's statements, in verse 4, Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. In verses 14 and 15, Pilate then informs the chief priests and the elders that he found no guilt in Christ, and neither did Herod, who Pilate had shipped Jesus off to for a season. Pilate declares his innocence again in verse 15 by saying, Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Then we read in verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. And then finally we get to verse 22, a third time he says to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no guilt deserving death. My mind, when I read this, it races back to the Garden of Eden. And all that Adam and Eve enjoyed in that garden, they were formed by God, for God. They have all of creation were given the chief blessing of being created in the image of God. 
He gave them purpose in ruling creation and spreading his image across the earth. They were granted freedom to freedom to enjoy every tree in the Garden of Eden except one. Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they thought they would gain by eating from the fruit of that tree. They desired to be the determiners of truth. To decide what was good and what was evil. They wanted to be God. And so they had rejected God. And yet you think back to the Garden of Eden as there was no reason to reject God. He had shown them nothing but goodness. What evil had he done to them? What good had he kept from them? It is a utter shocking rejection in order to embrace sin. And that's the same picture on the Good Friday. It's a shocking rejection of the God-man in order to embrace sin. Crucify, crucify him. Why? What evil has he done? I find in him no guilt deserving death. And here's the sobering reality about Good Friday. Is that you and I are supposed to find our voice in the crowd's voice. They answer with one voice. We're all children of Adam. There is none who does good. No, not even one. There is none who seeks after God. We're all prone to worship self, inclined to it from our our birth. We're desirous to pull God off of His throne. We were in the crowd as much as we were in Adam. Their cry is my cry. Their cry is your cry. But I'm not only to see myself in the cry of the crowd. I'm also to see myself in the guilt of Barnabas. He was a rebel and a murderer. And I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel in this world. There is none who seeks after God As Romans makes clear, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Or as Daniel says, for we have rebelled against Him. I'm a murderer. You're a murderer. Does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I am to see myself in the guilt of Barnabas. What often happens is we look upon a scene like Good Friday and we see that crowd and we think, how in the world could they ever get to that place? 
We look at Adam and Eve in the garden. We say, why in the world would they ever choose that? And it's because you and I don't recognize the depth of our own sin. I'm to see myself in the voice of the crowd. I'm to see myself in the guilt of Barnabas. But here's what makes this Good Friday. I'm to see myself as well as a Christian. I'm to see myself in the substitute of Christ. I'm identified with Him. Barnabas, rightfully deserving death, receives life. Jesus, rightfully deserving life, receives death. Christ's atoning for sin becomes our atonement. His sacrifice becomes our sacrifice. His death becomes our death. We die with Christ. And we are set free like Barnabas. As Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. So if you are in Christ, it is true for you, as he wrote to Timothy, is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. Their voice is my voice. His guilt is my guilt. But here is the good news. His death, meaning Jesus's, His death is my death. The innocent is condemned. And the guilty goes free. I was reading uh, this week a poem, and that's what I want to close with. Meditating upon this uh, all morning, this morning. I thought, oh, I just want to share it with you instead of some of the other things that I was going to bring out. I want to read this to you. It was written by a a conservative Anglican writer in our day. He just wrote it this week, I believe. And I thought it beautifully pictures this reality. About three minutes. He said, On a Friday morning some 2,000 years ago, God planted a tree east of Eden for the healing of the nations. That middle cross was quite literally the crux of everything. The cross of Christ was the hinge of human history the axis mundi, the center upon which the cosmos turns. Here is the focal point of all of time and space, one little lonely mountain called Golgotha. On that shape, skull-shaped hill outside the city walls, the world gathered to hold court. Jews with their ancient creeds were there. Greeks with their talent for culture were there. Romans with their thirst for conquest were there. Indeed, the whole world was there. And these complicit souls were all as Adams and Eves coming yet again to the fateful tree, believing lies concerning the goodness of God. Calvary was an intentional collusion as men conspired together to murder their maker. The jury deliberated and reached its verdict. We will not have this man to rule over us. 
As one, they pronounced the sentence, thus Good Friday became Judgment Day. Stunned angels were kept from drawing their flaming swords only by a commanding look from the emerald throne. The sun holding its integrity when men did not hid its face at their shame. The universe went silent at the audacity of it all, the sheer wrongness of it, the unspeakable villainy of it. What of the defendant? Did he have anything to say against the mob of insurrectionists bent on this decision? For this cause I was born. For this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This is the beautiful irony of Calvary. God was condemned by a lie in order to bear witness to the truth. A lie so monstrously false that the only way to show the depth of its falsity was by submitting to it. And by submitting to the judgment of the world, the world was judged. On Good Friday, both heaven and hell proclaimed the same astonishing evangel, the startling news of the crucified God. At the behest of hell-inspired men, the angel of death set his eye upon the firstborn of God. This was the hour of the power of darkness. From noon until three, the curtain of death was draped over the world. The rocks, feeling more sympathy than the stony-hearted men who trampled them, rent themselves in two at the awful scene. Then darkness tightened the shroud around the slumping figure. Still, he opened his mouth in neither protest nor malice. Thus, it was with eloquent silence that he pronounced the utter falsity of the primeval lie, that nagging falsehood which ever decried the benevolence of God for the love which led him to the cross was infinitely more powerful than the hatred which nailed him there. The unconscionable crime was in reality heaven's own theodicy, God's answer to the problem of evil. Soon, thought the darkness, he will give up. A few more moments and he will hear that final whimper he mused. Into my hands he will commit his broken spirit and with his last breath he will utter those three defeated words, I am finished. But darkness failed to keep a close watch on the clock. His hour had come to an end. Now the time for the judgment of the world now is the prince of this world cast out. The hour has come for the Son of Man to glorified. And when and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Father, forgive them, echoes still. The scandal continues apace as sinners are made righteous by the very one whom they killed. Buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life, seated with Him in heavenly places, and made partakers of the divine nature. That, I think, is the final insult to hell's injury. From the cross, God offered the fruit of the life-giving tree to the fallen sons of Adam, say, Take, eat, and you shall become as God 
Verily, in that day you eat thereof, you shall live. No wonder that in spite of everything, we still call this Friday good. Your voice was there. His guilt is your guilt. Do you understand that on this day, if your faith is in Christ, His death is your death. And His righteousness is your righteousness. And His victory is your victory. And His life, as we'll celebrate Sunday, is your life. That's why it's Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for so great a salvation. Forgive us that we think so little of our sin. So it causes us to think so little of the cross. Oh, how beautiful your grace is. How unbelievable your compassion is. How steadfast your love is. And so we gaze upon the cross with fresh eyes this afternoon and we say thank you. Thank you for being such a great God of such a great salvation. And we give you praise. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.